Well, good morning, Harvest. We're so glad to see you here. And uh, this is the Trinity Christian College Concert Choir, and they are directed by Helen Van Wyck. Let's just welcome them here. We are thrilled to have them here with us today and uh, just to have them lead us in worship in uh, different ways for us. And uh, we're glad that you're here. Why don't you stand up? Let's all stand. And we're going to welcome each other here to church this morning. Well, did you hear, uh, did you hear the words that uh, the choir was singing? They were singing uh, in Latin. Is that correct? Is that correct, Helen? Well, they were singing the words of Psalm 100. It says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. I just want to ask you to begin this service by closing your eyes and just, um, just thinking about the truth that as we come into God's presence, uh, that you can know that you are his, uh, his people, the sheep of his pasture. So that's why we come with thanksgiving. Let's just have a moment of quiet as we meditate on that. Oh 
So good to worship with you. Why don't you have a seat and we'll turn our attention to the screen.
for the first time today, we're glad you're here. Stop by one of the connection tables and learn more about who we are and how you can connect. We want to know you're here today. If you're seated at the left side of your row, pick up the connection book and fill out a prayer request. We'd love to pray for you. When you're finished, pass it down the row. It's the final week of Invite a Friend Month, so be bold and invite a friend. And don't forget to write how many guests you invited in the connection book. Maybe you've served as a leader on a ministry team before, or maybe you want to take your first steps to grow at Harvest. Attend Welcome to Leadership on March 3rd at 1245. Childcare and lunch are provided. Hey, there's a lot of things going on here at Harvest, lots of construction. Are you putting in the work to grow here at Harvest? We want to share two opportunities coming up that will help you grow. Weekend to Remember helps couples grow in their marriage. It was amazing what God did in our marriage at Weekend to Remember. You can also attend Financial Peace University. When couples have different views on what's financially responsible, conflict can arise. In my marriage, I viewed my household from a business standpoint. But after attending Financial Peace University, Jason and I were able to communicate on what God's plan is for our finances. Visit the table in the gym to learn more or register online. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Are you really going to make the hard choices to change your life. We had 40,000 in student loans, 17,000 in cars. I owned a rental property. You had a line of credit, just stuff. You had 16 credit cards. The proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes. We paid off $83,000. Wow, when desire comes. $144,000. When desire comes. $450,000 in the last seven years. Wow, it is the tree of life. God says this is how you get out of debt. You gotta run, 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 run. There is no doubt that this process called Financial Peace University works. The only question is whether you're gonna be involved. And so if you haven't signed up yet, now is the time. All right, well, before we hear from the choir again, I have a few extra announcements. First of all, we have a parenting class coming up Sunday, March 10th, 5 p.m. The information is there in your bulletin as well. That's for parents of kids of all ages. So, yes, we're gonna, I'm going to present uh, one session on parenting in general, and then we'll have breakout sessions. And we'll even have a breakout session for parents of newborns all the way up through grown-up children. So if you're having trouble parenting your grown children, guess up. Guess what? We're going to even have a session for you. So show up if you would love to find out how to minister to your kids of any age. And that's Sunday, March 10th, 5 p.m. Also, we put together our church annual report and handed it out at the All Church Rally last weekend. If you didn't get one, on the way out or on the way in, there are people handing these out. And so we would like for you to grab an annual report and read about everything God did last year. Uh, make sure you go on our Facebook page or website and watch the All Church Rally because I also shared a vision for this year. But if you read this cover to cover and go to our bookstore, you can get a $10 gift card for anything that you desire there. So read it and then claim your gift card. Well, hey, let's pray for this morning's offering together. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. You have given us so much. And Lord Jesus, you became poor so that we could become rich. And we ask that you would help us as we give. Help us to see your blessing on our lives. Uh, Lord, not because we are in some way deserving of it or earning it right now, but because we're showing our gratitude for all that you have blessed us with. We pray that you would multiply these offerings and help us to reach the nations and to expand your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Death shall not destroy my comfort. Christ shall lead me through the gloom. Down hills and some heavenly convoy to escort my spirit home. Excellent. Well, let's encourage our guests one more time. Thank you so much. Well, the series is called Romans, Nail It Down. The sermon is called Dead to Sin, Alive to God. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 6. The question that we are answering today together is this. Who are you trusting to fix your sin problem? Who are you trusting to fix your sin problem? When you have a problem that needs to be fixed, you're pretty picky and selective in who you will choose to solve it. 
Uh, if you had plumbing problems at your house or electrical problems at your office, you would be careful who you called to solve that problem. AT&T has a funny line of commercials out right now, and the, the uh, tagline is like, okay is not good enough, or okay is not whatever. So check this commercial out about picking a mechanic. Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, Phil, are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. Just okay? We got a saying here. The brakes don't stop it, something will. That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. AT&T is America's best wireless like network, that. according to America's just biggest Just okay is not okay. Right? In my personal opinion, AT&T is just okay. But hey, they're trying to convince us otherwise. Anyway, another topic. But just okay is not okay. You wouldn't let someone fix your brakes if they're just okay. And there's another commercial, right? Someone's going to do surgery, and the doctor's just okay. And that's not okay. So who are you trusting to fix your sin problem? It, and I would, I would suggest to you that most people in the world are trusting themselves to fix their own sin problem. Uh, they're treating it like a do-it-yourself project. I'm going to get into heaven because of what I've done in my life. Hey, listen, if you wouldn't fix your own plumbing problems, if you wouldn't fix your own electrical problems, if you wouldn't change your own oil or do your own taxes, how on earth are you going to fix your own sin problem? Right? We don't trust ourselves with smaller things, and we have a problem with sin, and we have a problem with death. And only Jesus is able to fix those problems for us. Are you trusting Jesus, the expert, to fix your problem with sin and death? The Bible is going to show us today why we should trust Jesus alone to solve our problems with sin and with death. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we open our Bibles and we also open our hearts. Our, our eyes are open, our minds are open, our ears are open, and we want to hear from above. Show us your will and help us to understand how you can fix our greatest problems with sin and with death. Show us the glory of the Lord Jesus and what he offers us today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, are you in Romans chapter 6? The Apostle Paul is writing this book. The man who killed Christians at one point is now trying to convince us that it's all true. The man who tried to destroy the church and discredit the church is now trying to show us that the church is the hope of the world because the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us. It says in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 as he continues on, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Then he goes on to say this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life walk in newness of life. Write this down, number one. We are to walk in newness of life. The first several chapters of Romans have all been about how we get saved, salvation. This is like a hinge chapter, this one in chapter five, showing us then how we can be sanctified or changed or transformed. How do I get right with God? And then how does my life change accordingly? 
we're still in the process of examining the foundation of the life that pleases God. It says in number one, God wants us to walk in newness of life. Now, if that is going to happen, you have to understand some pitfalls to watch out for. And he says here, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then his response immediately is, by no means. That's a strong response. He's basically saying, God, no. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God, no. No. He's talking to those inside the church who would misunderstand grace and say, I can keep sinning because of what Jesus did. He's also answering, we know from an earlier chapter, someone who's outside the church who's objecting and saying, oh, you Christians, you can just keep going on sinning because you're not going to be punished. He's talking to both of those people, people who keep sinning in the church and people who are objecting to the reality of grace outside the church. We have to walk in newness of life, and what that means is that we have to move forward from our sin. Um, listen, if you continue in sin after you say you've been saved, if you persist in blatant sin and you remain unchanged, the Bible says you're likely not a Christian. Now, all Christians will be tempted and will slip and will fall. But if your relationship with sin remains fundamentally intact, you're not saved. The Bible describes how your relationship with sin must change forever in this chapter. And this is a good way for you to examine where you stand with God. We are to walk in newness of life. Let's be honest, sometimes when we're tempted to sin, we reason in the back of our minds like, well, God's so forgiving and I haven't been punished before and I'll just do it this once and then we feel guilty but we think, well, God will forgive it and then we get trapped in this cycle of sin, repent, repeat. This is not the life that God has for us. And let me just caution people in the church, if your life right now is aimed to try and maximize sin and minimize godliness, I'll do the bare minimum of what God requires, but I'll get away with as much as I can in the process, you don't understand what it means to walk in newness of life. If you're walking up to God with a little sippy cup and saying, okay, go ahead and top this off, and then you're establishing a water tower in the backyard of your life, and you're letting the world fill that up for you, you've got life backwards. God wants you to walk in newness of life. Jesus didn't die to help you sin more comfortably. Jesus died to help you live more abundantly. Are you after that? Walk in newness of life. Well, why and how? Well, it says here, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Jot this down. Don't excuse your sin with grace. Don't excuse your sin with grace. The word grace is an amazing word that sets the Christian faith apart from all other religions. Grace means that God gives us his unearned favor. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. We don't get God to like us because of a series of good things we do. God doesn't love us because we're charitable. God doesn't love us because we're decent. God doesn't love us because we're religious. He loves us because he's gracious, because he gives us a gift we don't deserve. So God's grace is his unmerited favor. Now, when people hear that we have God's forgiveness free, that we have been forgiven of all of our sins, sometimes those people say, that sounds too easy. How many of you have heard people object to our faith by saying something like, oh, so you can just kill someone and ask for forgiveness and you just, you just get forgiven? Raise your hand if you've heard that objection to our faith. Forgiveness is too easy. 
too fast, and Christians can get away with murder, right? Now, I've got to admit, before I was saved, I didn't get saved until I was in college. Before I was saved, this is one of my biggest objections to the Christian faith. Oh, so you could just be a serial killer, and then at the very end, be like, sorry, God, and go to heaven? I don't like it. I don't buy it. What I had a problem with, though, was not biblical faith. I had a problem with something that is not allowed in the Bible. According to the Bible, no one will be allowed to live a horrendous life, right? And then at the end, to just pull a parachute that they don't mean and, and just escape the consequences of their actions. That's not a biblical faith. Someone who's so malicious, and in the end, they know that they're just going to try and get away with it, but they still have a filthy heart. That's not the way Christianity works. And the Bible is calling out anyone here who would say, I'm going to take advantage of God's graciousness and fill my life with sin, right? And then, and then at the end, maybe be like, sorry. You know, that's not the way Christianity works. We're not supposed to excuse our sin with grace. We're supposed to walk in newness of life. But let me just say this. Maybe you're here today and this is your objection. You're like, I can't believe this Bible thing because you can just get away with anything. Let me just reassure you that the accurate biblical form of faith accounts for every sin being punished justly. If you think you're going to arrive at heaven one day and you're mortified at the thought that you're going to run into somebody you know, who doesn't belong there, let me reassure you. If you chose to waste the first thousand years of heaven looking through the file folders and making sure God got it right, you will find no injustice. There won't be a shred of injustice in heaven. No one will be there unless they belong there justly. Now, if you go down to Cook County and you start thumbing through the records, how long do you think it would take you to find some injustice, some inconsistencies? Not long. But if you, if you were to choose, if you, if you really, I love law and order, I like the crime shows, and I'm going to go through those records, you'll find no injustice. There will either be people who were punished justly and sent to hell forever, or there will be people who were led into heaven on a just basis meaning their crimes were paid for. And this text explains how that happens as it unfolds. God will not excuse your sin in the name of grace. And so we should not say that that's the way it will happen. Listen, if you object to hypocrites, if you've been hurt by Christians who said they were Christians, but they were sinning, if you saw a church that was really filled with vipers, God's against that. That's not God's way. That's not God's plan. And let me just invite you to make sure that you separate what people did in the name of Jesus and what Jesus really did. All right, don't confuse that. If I, if, I were to, you know, if I were to take someone's coat in this room, right, Ron, if I were to take Ron's coat and then go rob a bank and then give it back to him and be like, here you go, and then they arrest him and they're like, oh man, you're in big trouble. And he's like, what? We saw you on the camera. We saw that coat. You know, it would be very easy for him to be like, I didn't do it. That guy over there stole my coat and did it, right? Now listen, if somebody was wearing a little jersey that said Jesus and they did something that hurt you, don't blame Christ, right? Don't blame Christ. They took his name and did something wrong with it. But don't blame him. And the same thing with the church. The church wasn't the problem. It was the sin that was the problem. Maybe it's time for you to open your heart back up to God and to the church and to the Lord and to reconsider what the Bible really says. 
The Bible says that anyone, even the vilest offender, even the most sinful person on the planet today, has hope of getting into heaven. Not unjustly, but justly. And that should make you wonder, how can it be? We're called to walk in newness of life. We're not called to excuse our sin with grace. And then, jot this down, because the power of sin is broken. Walk in newness of life because the power of sin is broken. Look at verse 2. It says, by no means, how can those who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The power of sin is broken, and the Bible says that baptism actually illustrates how that happens. Now, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church, which was like my first faith tradition, but I really didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college. You want to see a picture of College Ryan? You want to see that? Here's a picture of College Ryan. That's me, and that's my girlfriend, Lauren. Isn't she adorable? She's my wife now, which is super awesome. And, but there, there I was, you know, this, this uh, public school kid getting in all sorts of trouble, getting drunk in the forest, having debates with my friends about whether God even exists. And then I got saved, and then I got baptized. Do you want to see, do you want to see my baptism video? Yeah? All right, check it out. Here's my baptism video. This is Ryan Hall. Why do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who died and rose again from your sins? And have you by faith received him as your own personal Lord and Savior? Ryan, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the light of his death. Maybe we're a gown. How many of you had to wear a gown when you got baptized before? Yeah, we don't do that anymore. That, you know what happened? You know what happened after that? I walked into the back room, and, and I wept. I was so happy for what Jesus did for me. It took so long for him to get my heart, and then he got it. And boy, that guy had seen your pastor written all over him, didn't he? I mean, <laughs> everyone saw that coming. I went to my 10th high school reunion, and when a girl found out I was a Christian, she screamed, all right? Like, like, like shocked. God did an awesome thing in me, and my baptism was my way of showing everyone how God had transformed me. Let's dig into what it says here. It says here in verses 2 to 4, we were buried therefore with him. In verse 4, uh, right? It says, you died to sin. You died to sin. Past tense. It says, do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now this can get confusing because what it's teaching is when, when we were saved, we died. When we were saved, we died. We, we died in a sense that we died relationally to sin. So sin is personified here to help us understand its effect on us. We're, we have this relationship to sin. It is a, it is a love relationship. And it, it's, it's very crooked and dysfunctional and abusive. How many of you have seen lovebirds? fall in love, and they get all cute with each other. Have you seen it? And they talk about each other, and they post about each other. Oh, with this person again, and it's so obnoxious, right? Unless it's you. And if it's you, you're like, oh, this is amazing. It's so awesome. And everyone else is like, bleh, right? You know what it's like when there's a relationship going on. Uh, you have a relationship with sin. And the Bible says we love sin. We love darkness, but it's toxic. 
right? Sin is pollution. We're in bondage in this relationship, and it's bringing about no good in the end. And we can't get out of it. And Jesus came down to free us from it. How did he do it? Well, he, he, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of one relationship by bringing us into a stronger relationship. When you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, God sees it as if you died with him. You went into the tomb. A fatality has occurred. And then you were raised to new life. Now that doesn't mean that somehow at one point when you got saved, your soul shut off, like you died somehow spiritually, and then you were like, <gasps> and then like, boom, the lights came back on. You were like, how long was I out? It doesn't mean that you somehow turned off, right? We never really stop existing once God creates us. That's one of the marvels of humanity. We're, we're made in his image, right? And what happens is death is always a separation. It's always a change. So when you die here, you don't stop existing. You do, you're separated from this life. Right? And, uh, and so, and, and even in the next life, when people are judged and they go to hell, that's called the second death. But yet again, they're still not unliving. They're still not, you know, they're living. They're just separated from the eternal life. So death is not a ceasing of existence. It's a transformation of existence. And so when it says here that you died with him, it means your relationship to sin was severed. You died to sin. Right? It would be like, it would be like a, a parent getting so fed up with a child saying, you're dead to me. It's a relational thing. And it's final. And, and, it's, and it's fatal. So have you died to sin? The power of sin is broken by Jesus. And when we come into a relationship with Jesus, his death counts as our payment. And the power of sin is broken. Jesus can do what no one else can do for you. Only Jesus can fix your sin problem because he's an expert. It says here, we have died with him. And then we've been buried with him in baptism. When you get baptized, it acts something out. So when you go under the water, it shows that the old you, the sinful you, was buried in the ground. And then it shows that a new you comes up to new life. When I had a professor at Moody Bible Institute, he had the honor of baptizing his son, and he arranged something with his son in advance that really freaked the congregation out. You know, usually you bring him under and you bring him up. And when his son was in there, he said, all right, my son, and now I'm going to baptize you. And he put him under, and then he looked up at the congregation and said, can you imagine? Now you know, baptism simulates death. And death means you're not breathing. And and, and the congregation didn't know that they had planned this, so he's just holding his son underwater. And he's like, and, and baptism symbolizes death. And, and what would it be like if the baptism, his son's still under, truly, truly resembled coming back to life. And then his son shot up out of the water. I was like, <laughs> little edgy. I would never do that. <laughs> But it makes the point. Baptism shows that spiritually you died and a brand new baby you, a new creation, came to life. Do you see how that shows how we should walk in newness of life? Jesus didn't come into this world so you can just watch your language on Sunday morning while the Christians are around. Okay. He didn't just come into the world so you can once a week mow your sins and let them grow back. He came into the world so that you can enjoy abundant life, so that you can be risen. 
The power of sin is broken. Live like that. Your relationship to sin is different. Live like that. It says here in verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He's from heaven. He was 100% God, virgin born. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. On the cross, this, the wrath of God was poured out on him. The full payment for your sin was made. Then he died and he was thrown in the tomb and death is the final payment for your sin. But on the third day, he was raised to new life and he was exalted to the right hand of God in heaven where he rules now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That makes Jesus one of a kind. Jesus is the only expert who can solve your problem with sin and with death. Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord? Walk in newness of life. Don't excuse your sin with grace because the power of sin is broken. Listen, if Jesus saved you, you are safely separated forever from the power of sin and death. Death has no power over you. Death only holds the door as you go into paradise. Death is like a Walmart store greeter wearing that little vest. All he does is open the door and say welcome. He has no power to damage you anymore. He's ruined. You'll be exalted. Jot this down. Because the penalty of sin is canceled. The power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is canceled. This is why you can walk in newness of life. Look at verse 5. Reading on in verse 5, it says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The word resurrection means rising up. And just as Jesus rose to new life, uh, you are to live in newness of life. Now, resurrection can refer to what Jesus is going to do in your future. He will raise you up after, uh, in the end, he'll raise you up to new life. There will be a bodily resurrection where you will be raised into a new glorified state where you'll never sin, you'll never die. It's going to be amazing. But this doesn't describe that. This describes you being spiritually resurrected here in this life. So, so your life is brought to new life. So you get to enjoy abundant living here because he's alive there. All right, he died, you die. He lives, you live right here, right now. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's not just your future plan. He's your plan now. The penalty of sin is canceled. Now, the penalty of sin is death, but Jesus cancels that. It gives you life. And if you're united with him, every day you can show off his life. Listen, Jesus lives right now in the glory of God the Father with victory, with power, with peace, with purity. This is how your days are supposed to reflect his life. You're not going back to the darkness. You're not going back to the dungeon. You're not going back to, to bond. That doesn't show that Jesus rose. Your life is supposed to show people Easter every day. That's what we were made for. The cross really isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. Have you played Monopoly? Check it out. Here's a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not what the cross is. It's not that you just lift it up and, and set free. The cross is more like a get-out-of-jail-because-someone-completed-your-full-sentence-for-you card. Imagine how the game would change if when you got in jail in Monopoly, you could pick a card saying, someone else goes to jail for you. And then you could be like, <laughs> and switch them. And then the other person would be like, that's not fair. Now I've got to roll the dice three times. That's what Jesus did. 
He took your place to bail you out so that you could be set free forever. And listen to the amazing truth that the Bible says here. It says here, we know that our old self, verse 6, was crucified with him. So we were buried with him. We, now we're crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So the idea is when God looks at you, if you're a Christian, he sees his son. And here's, here's the answer to someone who would say Christianity is too easy. You get away with anything. You can murder someone and go to heaven. This book, by the way, was written by a murderer. How can it be just, you're asking, and here's the answer. The answer is, everything you want to see happen to a sinful person, happen to Christ in that person's place. You want to see that person get spit on? Done. Shove a crown of thorns on their head, do they bleed? Done. Whipped in the back until the skin peels up? Done. Nailed to a piece of wood and mocked in humiliation public? Done. Thrown in a tube? Done. 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 Tortured to death. And then God said, paid in full, and he rose that person to life. Amen. What will calm your heart when you cope with the thought that anyone can go to heaven is when you realize that there are some people in this world, God included, and they want to see you pay. They want to see you pay for what you've done. God wants to see you pay for what you've done. What's your answer to that? Either you're going to pay it or someone's going to pay it for you. And if you try and pay it, it's going to take forever. But if Christ pays it, it's finished. This is what heals our hearts when we realize we need what Jesus did for everyone. We need him to do that for us. Right? We need him to do that for us. Then it says here, when God says that we're crucified with him, it says that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Body of sin there can also be termed the flesh in the Bible. Whenever it says the flesh, it means... It means the way that we're physically wired, you know, uh, we've got, our body has a big alliance with sin, okay? Do you ever feel drawn to sin? Do you ever feel like sin is appetizing? You know, that 15th piece of pizza right there is calling my name, you know? Uh, or worse, you're, you know, clicking through the internet, you're like, wow, that ad looks <sighs> like I should click on it. Or, you know, we're, we're drawn to sin, and that's because the flesh in our body it, it has an alliance with sin, has an addiction to sin. So how can we be free of that? Well, once we are saved, the power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is canceled. It changes the way we react to sin. Now, is it still appetizing? Are we still tempted? Yes. But here's what's changed. The body is rendered powerless to control and condemn us. Sin, once you're saved, can no longer control you, and sin can no longer condemn you. The guilt the shame, the bondage are done. Now, now, do we still struggle? Every day. Are we tempted? Every day. But it's a different fight. Sin no longer has a ring on our finger. Sin has no authority or jurisdiction to rule over us. Sin is no longer governing the table of our lives. He's outside like a lobbyist begging for a vote. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. I know how we should do this. You could just be like, shut up, right? You can command sin in the name of Christ to stop, you don't have that power before you're saved. Sin rules you. You think you got your sin on a leash? You think you're controlling it? It's like you're walking a pet T-Rex and thinking you're in control. All right, you're a snack. Sin can end you. And it's only a matter of time before it does. But once you're in Christ, sin doesn't own you anymore. The penalty and the power of sin is done. 
I love what it says here. It says that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. What a teaching. When I was a kid, I had naughty friends. I was naughty, but they were naughtier. And, and the neighbors across the street were the naughtiest, the schnurs. So we went over to their house, funnest sleepover house, right? Very low parent supervision. So we went over there, a lot of kids, and it was even more naughty when the cousins came over because they were even worse. So there we were one day, and I don't know, some, one of the older boys, it was, he had a great idea. Somehow he got his hands on legitimate police handcuffs. I don't know how. And somehow he thought it would be fun to dare other people to get hand. So there I was. I don't even know how I got there. But at one point, I was standing on the top of the pool table in the basement, handcuffed to the light. And then they couldn't find the key. And they started going, and one, they thought maybe they had dropped it in the pool. So there they were, looking around, and even some of them were in the pool. And I was just standing there like an idiot, handcuffed to the light on the pool table. Well, when my... My same age friends realized that they weren't going to find the key. They went over and they, they got my, guess who? They got my, who? My mom. Then mom comes over and walks down the stairs. What did you do? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I got handcuffed to a pool table. And I can't get down. I mean, the humiliation. You know, I was like nine. And I was just like, I know. She couldn't get the handcuffs off. So she had to call her police friend. Her police friend came over. He couldn't get the cuffs off. He tried to pick them. And I don't know where they came from. All right. And so then he had to go get a hacksaw. And he, he sawed the chain. And then I had to walk home with one of the cuffs still on like this. Like the walk of shame. You know, like the green mile. There I am walking home. Then we get home and I had to put it on the... And then he had to hacksaw the handcuff off. And he finally got them off. And I was a free man. It felt fantastic. Now listen, that portrait of a kid standing on a pool table, handcuffed to a light, that's you before Jesus. All right, and you're not getting out. You're humiliated, you're ashamed, you know, you fell for it, and you're, and you're not getting out of the shame. And someone needs to come along and set you free. Set you free. And only Jesus can do it. Have you been set free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, or are you in sin in the same relationship you've been in your whole life. Number one, walk in newness of life. It's only a two-point sermon. Number two, trust Jesus to give you new life. Trust Jesus to give you new life. You can't walk in it until you have it. And reading on in verse 8, it says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hey, trust Jesus to give you new life. Trust Jesus to give you new life. It says in verse 8, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Live with him. Jesus came to give you new life. Uh, John Paul Sartre was an existentialist philosopher and he lived in a day when so much was being learned and so much was being changed. And uh, interesting, his observation on reality, of course, he wasn't a Christian. And here's what he said. He said, everything has been figured out except how to live. Everything has been figured out except how to live. We still don't know how to live. God wants you to figure out how to live. God wants you to figure out how to live. 
He wants you to share the abundant life of his son. To get there, you need a new relationship with sin, and you need a new relationship with death, and only Jesus can give that to you. Now, some, some in here, some in the world might be saying, this stuff is so obsolete. I mean, Jesus, the, the Bible was written, and I don't even know if it's trustworthy. Jesus, the book is filled with myths. Maybe Jesus lived a good life, but like, wh why would I base my, after all we've learned, after in a day of the greatest scientific discoveries ever, where we have such great technology, why would I go back to the Stone Age and, and, and basically believe, you know, in this, in this Jewish rabbi to be my hope? Like that's, why would I do that? And there are many people who process through faith that way. It's out. Why would I do that? Why would I go back in ancient history and trust that we've come so far? I saw a commercial recently that was pretty hilarious. It was a commercial from the 90s, way back in the 90s. And this advertisement uh, showed us breakthrough technology that you're all going to want. In fact, pull out your wallets now because once and your phones, because once you see this commercial, you're going to want to call. Check out this commercial. Talking on the phone, getting out of hand? Look out! You need phone relief. The ultimate enhanced free phone design. Watch. Simply attach the special bubble back fastener to any phone. Then attach the phone relief headset. It's that easy. Hands-free, pain-free. You'll wonder how you ever lived without it. It's perfect for remotes. Now talk hands-free anywhere, anytime. Office work is a pain for Mr. Phone in the Neck, but you won't miss a beat with hands-free freedom. A must for the entire office. Work goes quicker and easier. The padded headset removes the easily and is fully adjustable. Best of all, Phone Relief works with your favorite phone, an amazing breakthrough product you'll use every day. Now only $12.95. Call toll-free to order by credit card and, and make your this your there last over the number. All right. Amazing breakthrough technology. What, no one? No one? Did anyone actually own something like that? Admit right now if you own Synodiscape. Hey, listen, that's like so, so yesterday, so obsolete, so laughably useless. And when I talk about Jesus and the gospel and the cross, there are many people who are like, this is laughably obsolete. Like, we've come so far, and you're really talking to me about this first century Jewish who? Like, all right, he's a good person, but let's not get carried away and, and bank our lives on him. Uh, and I would just say to you, that we have come a long way and humanity has still failed to solve our greatest problems of sin and death. Is the problem of sin solved? Did Google do that? Has Amazon delivered that? Is the problem of sin solved? Yes or no? Yes or no? Is the problem of death solved? Are we any closer to solving the problem of death? Because the latest... You know, Barnapol just showed us that one out of every one people will die. So how, how far have we come in solving that problem? Well, we live longer to, and we all die. All of us. So, yes, history may have documented the problem. Uh, yet government may have systematized the problem. And technology has for sure accelerated the problem. And science has done a great job of charting the problem. No one has solved the problem. So let's not get going on. We've come so far. We've made so much progress. We don't need that anymore. Hey, only Jesus can solve your problem with sin and death. All right, only Jesus. Your college degree can't do that for you. And if you think you're going to do that for yourself, good luck. 
Only Christ is the expert on solving sin and death. Jot this down. Trust Jesus to give you new life. Believe Jesus died for all of your sins. Believe Jesus died for all of your sins. It says in verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Which means Jesus died for your sins. Now a lot of people don't like to be told they're sinful. They don't, they don't hear it. They don't want to be told that. Uh, one of the most famous talk show hosts ever, uh, Dick Cavett, was talking about what it's like to interview people and even in tough interviews, and he said this, it's a rare person who wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. It's a rare, so you're doing an interview and you've got to bring some tough stuff up. Yeah, what's that like? It, it, it's a rare person who wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. And Christian, you, you and I, we, we have to hear what we don't want to hear, right? That's the only way to get well. And you have to hear what the Bible says. You don't want to hear it, but the Bible says you're sinful, you're broken, beyond repair, and only Jesus can fix your sin problem. Have you heard that yet? Do you believe that? It says here that Jesus died once for all. We don't need Jesus to die again and again and again. Once at the cross, it is finished. The cross is the payment for your sin. Do you believe Jesus died for all of your sins? Jot this down. Believe Jesus rose again in power. It says the life he lives, which implies he lives right now. He lives to God. Verse 9, we know that death no longer has dominion over him. He's alive and he defeated death. This is impossible and miraculous. His dead heart began to beat again. Listen, death has no, no more option. There's no plan B. Death can't try harder next time. Okay, it's not like death is like, all right, boys, we're going to get another go at it. Okay, you sneak up from behind. Uh, let, let's try something. What can we put in his food? Death is out of options. Jesus rose again and he lives today. Death has no power over him, no dominion over him. This is why Jesus is the only one who can promise you life after death. No one else has walked those dark trails and come back. Only Christ. Now, yeah, there were some people in the Bible who died and came back. Lazarus came back. Elijah and Elisha raised the dead, but those people died again. Okay, became very inconvenient when they had to plan the second funeral for these people. Great that they got some bonus years, but then they died again. I don't know if the policy covered that. Okay? Jesus' death and resurrection was one of a kind. No one died and came back like that in a glorified state. Jesus rose again in power. And that's the way he wants you to live. He won the fight for you. And he wants you to have new life. Jot this down. Believe Jesus lives to save those who trust him. It says in verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word there, consider it, means to reckon it, to, to believe it, to make it so, to, to bank on it. Dead to sin, alive to Christ. And let me ask you this. Do you live like Jesus is everything to you? Do the people who know you best say Jesus is the most important person in your life? I don't watch The Big Bang Theory much, but there was one episode where Sheldon's hero showed up. Who's Sheldon's hero? Luke Skywalker. And his friends got Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, to come and officiate his wedding. So when Sheldon walked into the, into the ceremony, he, he couldn't even say his name. He was like, Mark, 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 He couldn't even say his name. He was so excited. And then finally, when he got it out, he said, I have 3,000 things for you to sign when this is all done. 
all of his collector's items, all of his Star Wars memorabilia, he wanted autographed now. It was clear to everyone who knew him who his hero was. Hey, do the people who know you best know Jesus is everything to you? Or if we were to ask them on a scale of 1 to 10 how important Jesus, wants, Jesus is to you, would they be like, uh, 2? 1? 2? Do you believe Jesus lives to save those who trust him? Listen, knowing Jesus is the supreme joy of this life and the unfading joy of the next life. Honestly, when I was in college making my mind up about the faith, there came a point where I knew it was true. And maybe you're there. Maybe you know it's true. Maybe you were raised in the faith and you know it's true, but I didn't want it to be true. You can get stuck in there for a long time. You know it's true, but you haven't taken the step of faith yet. And let me just say this. If you, if you know it's true, every day people cross over into the next life unprepared for the fate that awaits them. Don't wait until time seals your fate for you. You can live abundantly now. You can die confidently now. You can go to paradise for eternity but you have to cross the line of faith today. There is no reason to put it off any longer. It's clear. It's time to walk in newness of life. Don't excuse your sin. The power and the penalty of sin can be canceled. Trust Jesus to give you new life. He died for all of your sins and rose again in power. And he lives to save those who trust him. Are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to put your faith in Christ? Are you ready to stop treating this like a do-it-yourself project and trust the expert? The only one who can cancel death, who can dethrone sin, and who can walk you safely into his Father's kingdom forever. Are you ready to trust him? Let's respond to what we've heard by going to the Lord in prayer. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our hearts. And let's talk to God. Let's talk to God together. You don't need to use magic words. You don't need to become someone you're not. Right now is your chance to simply talk to God. And I want you to evaluate where are you based on what the Bible says. Have you died to sin? Or are you still playing games? Are you still filling your life with as much sin as possible? Are you still guarding your sin and trying to keep God from it? Or are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to all out let it go? Are you ready to tell God the truth? Well, right here and right now, I invite you to talk to God in your own heart. You can say this with me in your heart. You can say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Forgive me, for I have broken your law. Forgive me, for I have neglected your son. Forgive me that Jesus has meant nothing to me. And say this to him. Say, I ask for new life. I repent and turn. I want peace and joy from above. Father, Set me free. If you're praying that for the first time, understand that God is bringing you from death to life, from darkness to light. And he is freeing you to live a brand new life. Jesus said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Be filled with the hope and the peace that comes from God's spirit and know that your sins have all been forgiven. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you again, choir. That was truly a blessing for us this morning. Uh, we have people down front coming to pray with you. And as you leave, make sure you pick up an annual report, read it cover to cover, and hear about all that God did last year. There are refreshments in the gym, and we would love for you to join us there. As you go, know you are loved. God bless. We'll see you next week.